today I want to talk about Cain and Abel. Now, those of you that have followed us for a long time or been with us for a long time, you know we've spent an, spent an exorbitant amount of time in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Um, like a year and a half, right? And, um, and yet the story of Cain and Abel is something we haven't touched before because I'll be completely honest with you, with all of my study in the first few chapters of Genesis, I still didn't know how to, I still did, something still didn't feel right. I still wasn't sure exactly how to read it um, and I kept getting answers and getting, getting reactions to it or giving reactions to it that I didn't think fit. Um, and this is a challenging story. I, um, I listen, you guys know I listen to the Bible Project podcast because I think they're wonderful and I love Dr. Tim Mackey. And uh, by the way, they have a, a whole website full of, there's more resources there than you could probably go through in three or four years all free so if you're looking for a, a place to study from uh, the Bible Project is a wonderful place and uh, I was listening to one of their older episodes and, and, uh, and Tim said something about the story of Cain and Abel and how um, how dense it was and I thought well that's an interesting way to explain the story of Cain and Abel well, I wonder what he means and so I listened to the episode, and during that episode, John, the co-host, mentions that uh, he has listened to a lecture on Cain and Abel by Dr. Jordan Peterson. Most, many of you will know Dr. Jordan Peterson. You may know him from his political um, conversations. Uh, I didn't, he, he is a uh, uh, philosopher and psychologist. Uh, and a professor, he's Canadian, eh? And uh, and and he's really got an accent, uh, but he's he's a wonderful thinker. And uh, and and so John mentioned that he listened to a lecture by by Dr. Peterson on Cain and Abel, and I was like, Ur? I didn't think Jordan Peterson had anything to do with it. He's not a proclaimed believer or or any of those kinds of things. So I just popped on YouTube and typed in Jordan Peterson, Cain and Abel, and holy smokes. He loves the story. It's probably his favorite story in scripture is the story of Cain and Abel. Now, I don't know, remember, it may have been like since Sunday school that you read the story of Cain and Abel. It's 16 verses. 16. And so I listened to one lecture. I actually fell asleep listening to it. I woke up and it was at one hour and one minute. I fell asleep somewhere in the middle, and I woke up just in time to hear him say, now that I'm done with my introduction, let's go to Genesis 4. And I was like, what? And the whole lecture is two and a half hours on the story of Cain and Abel. So it just further convinced me that I've got some work to do on Cain and Abel. So... Um, I have been, and I don't have all the answers, but I want to share some of my insights with you this morning. So, so better sheet, Genesis 4 and verse 1. Now, the man, now some of your translations may say Adam, the actual name, Adam, um, but it, Adam, of course, just means uh, it, his personal name, but it means also human, the man. Had relations with his wife. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, Cain. And she said, I produced a man with Adonai. 
How many of you have something different in that statement? I produced a man with Adonai. You have something different verbiage? Christina, what do you have? I have gained a man. Have gained a man? Okay. What do y'all have? With the help of Adonai. Okay. There, go ahead, say it. Acquired a man from Adonai. Okay, right. So you can see there's a lot of different ways to translate this verse uh, because of the, what are those called? Participles? And the way that they work. To, from, with. One way to read this that is not reflected in many of the translations that I, uh, that I found is uh, Hava. So let's just go back a little bit, and it's going to be kind of disjointed, but just follow me. Remember, Hava is the one who took of the fruit, right? Standing between, standing before Etz Chaim and Etz Da'at, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, Hava is the one who decided to take and eat, okay? Before giving to her husband, and he eats as well. And what is happening in that moment we've talked about remember is that Chava Eve is denying Hashem's definition of good and evil and she is choosing at that point to make her own definition of good and evil she is using choosing to use her own wisdom and be the source of what is good and what is right and by implication what is not good what is tov? Remember, God already set a standard for what is good. Tov, day one, tov, day two, tov, day three, tov. And the opposite of tov is lotov, not, not good. And so she decides to, in that moment, decide what is good. She, in essence, I think without stretching this too far, we can say she, in essence, becomes on the same level as creator or places herself on the same level of creator because up until this time the only definition for what is good and right and holy and appropriate is set by Hashem himself and in that moment what we're supposed to, I think what we're supposed to get from the story of Genesis 3 and the two trees is that humanity has now elevated themselves to the, the, the function and the title and the responsibility of creator. Not maybe above God, but on the same level as God. And see, sometimes in our minds we think that, well, putting ourselves above God is the real sin is the real where things really start to happen but in actuality putting ourselves on the same plane as God there is no one beside him that includes us and so one of the ways that these participles in the, the first part in the second part of verse one can be translated or, or, or interpreted is I Hava I have produced a man like God has that makes sense now with the help of God maybe she is being humble maybe after the whole Genesis 3 debacle she's humbled herself and she's recognized Hashem's place alone as creator and source maybe, maybe so but we, we with all this there's a word I'm going to use a lot during this teaching or this lecture and that word is ambiguity which means things are unclear. There's a lot of ambiguity 
in, in, in chapter 3, chapter 4, in really all of the scripture, but for our intents and purposes in here, we, can, we have the liberty to, to look at other options, right? And so you, I've said before, I'll just say it again, we, um, I'm working right now doing a ton of study uh, on how to read the Bible because we don't know. And I, I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but we don't. We don't know how to read the Bible. This is what's called narrative. Well, that's great, but when we think of narrative, we think of books. Many of you are avid readers. You think of books. You think of things that you read. When you're reading a narrative, you want details, right? You want details. You want to know why this person's doing this. You want a backstory. You want some context. You want, you want to know where, what's going on because that places you in the story more accurately, right? Well, when we read biblical narrative, one of the things that we don't get is details. Many times we don't get details. And so we're left to, there's, there's ambiguity, uh, ambiguity there. We're left to fill in what's going on. And that can be really, really cool, or it can be really, really dangerous. So we're going to work through some of that stuff today. So, so Hava's attitude here is, is, is one that has some room for reflection and, and, and interpretation. Verse 2, it says, Then she gave birth again to his brother Abel, or Hevel in Hebrew. And Hevel became a shepherd of flocks, while Cain became a worker in the ground, of the ground. Now, there's some details. So we're, we get these two details, and then we're going to see as we read the story, there's big holes in the story. So we get, why do we get these two details and not some other details that we want later down the line? I'll explain what I mean. Verse 3, so it happened after some time that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to Adonai. Why? Why does he bring an offering of the fruit of the ground? He's a farmer, right? Why? Why? Anybody have an answer? The text doesn't tell us. We assume it's because he's a farmer that he brings what he has. But the text doesn't tell us why he's why, why they're bringing an offering in the first place we, who told him to bring an offering see this big hole in the text do you go like it would be a good idea if we had god's conversation with the brothers before telling them what to do but we don't we don't know So he brings uh, an offering of the fruit of the ground. Verse four, while Hevel, Abel, he also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Let's stop before we... So Hevel brought the first of his flock and the fatted portions, which is the highest quality offering you can bring. Now we have a disadvantage when we're reading Cain and Abel. The disadvantage is that we know the rest of the story. We've read through the scriptures 
And we know there's something about a sacrificial system and we know that there's some commandments in this book called Leviticus and while we don't really touch it a whole lot, we know it's there, we dance around some of the things in it and we know that, that it seems as though there's a place for uh, animal offerings and then there's another place for grain offerings. So we have that context and, and that actually provides a disadvantage to us and we'll talk about that. So he brings the, the fatted portions, and it says, Now, Adonai, second half of verse 4, Now Adonai looked favorably upon Hevel and his offering. But upon Cain and his offering, he did not look favorably. What's the first question you ask yourself? Why? That's a very good question. How did, again, big gaping holes in the story right it would be so nice if somebody would give an explanation but there's none there's no explanation God approved of one and didn't approve of the other one let's move on wait wait what (laughs) and so it says Cain became very angry and his countenance fell he got droopy faced he was angry and depressed which Dr. Peterson defines as he became uh, the term he used was hostile resentment some of you can identify with that feeling whether you've had it towards someone or you've had it towards you hostile resentment then Adonai said to Cain why are, you, uh, why are you angry, buddy? Why is your countenance fallen? What? Verse seven, if you do well, it will lift. In other words, your countenance will be raised up. Some of your translations say something like that. In other words, so look at the difference in the language. His countenance fell, and now we're told his countenance fell because he didn't do well. Tov is the word there in Hebrew, good. You didn't do what is good, tov. Which remember, we talked about Tov is not being perfect. Tov is being functional and, and right according to the wisdom of Hashem. If you do well, your countenance will live. But if you do not do well, sin, first mention of sin in Scripture, is crouching at the doorway and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So Cain spoke to Avel, his brother, while they were in the field, while they were in the where? In the where? Okay, we're going to talk about location also. We've got a lot to get to. And he spoke to him and rose up against Hevel, his brother, and killed him. First murder in Scripture. Then Adonai said to Cain, where is Hevel, your brother? I don't know, he said. Am I my brother's keeper? To which the answer is what? Yes. Then he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Adama, from the ground. And that word cry, we've talked about this word before. Where else, I don't expect you to remember the, the name, of the, the, the actual word in Hebrew. But there is a cry that we've talked about, a cry that God hears over and over and over throughout scripture 
He heard it with the Israelites when they were in captivity. He heard it at Sodom and Gomorrah. He hears it over and over and over and over. Do you remember what the cry is? Ze'akah. Very good. The cry of oppression. The cry of injustice. God hears. If you, find, if you have Strong's or you have an app, look up this word. Where, look up this where he says the voice or, or your brothers in verse 10 is crying to me from the ground. Look up that word. It's Ze'akah. And then look up the other places where that word is mentioned. And it's fascinating to look at it. God is going about his business. Things on earth are happening, whatever. Someone is being oppressed and they cry out this ze'akah. And God all of a sudden goes, wait a minute, I hear something. What's that sound? Everybody, Sorry. Some of y'all were thinking it. Uh, and he stops and he responds. He responds to the ze'akah. Same word here, or first, first word here. And so he said, verse 11, so now cursed are you from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. As often as you work the ground, it will not yield its crops to you again and you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to Adonai, my iniquity is too great to bear. Since you expelled me today from the face of the ground and I must be hidden from your presence, then I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Anyone who finds me will kill me. But Adonai said to him, in that case, anyone who kills Cain is to be avenged seven times over. So Adonai put a mark on Cain so that anyone who found him would not strike him down. Then Cain left Adonai's presence and dwelled in the land of wandering east of Eden. So we're given these waypoints throughout the, the narrative. That's really interesting. So 16 verses. Pretty simple story, right? So I'm going to grab the board because I don't know how much writing I'm going to feel the need to do. But So as we read through this story, we should be, we should be confused a little bit. We should be frustrated a little bit. We should carry a little bit of reverent fear. There, there should be a lot of things that this story evokes for us. It's very, this story is very interactive. And if it's not, then you have some, we have some presuppositions that cause us to think that we already have it figured out and we know the answer, right? So as we begin to read and as we begin to, to kind of take stock of the story and work our, work our way through it, we come to this thing where there's two sons, there's an older son and a younger son. The older son, Cain, we know what that becomes. It starts with a B in Hebrew. Do you remember what, he, what the firstborn becomes? Bechor. Bechor is the, the, he deserves the birthright, right? He is the one who gets the birthright. He gets the property. He gets the double portion, right, as we've, as we've talked about. And then you have the younger brother. Now, because we study Torah, right? Right? We study Torah? Right. One of the first things that we should notice in this is that we've heard this story before. Where there's an older brother who is privileged, 
who is the promise. He's the bechor. He's the one that gets the, all the good stuff, but he also has all the responsibility for carrying out the family and fulfilling and protecting and providing for the family, right? We've heard this story before, but what inevitably happens to the bechor? He gets surpassed. He, something happens, and he shorts out, and he goes crazy, and he ends up going off somewhere. And what happens? The younger brother always is the brother of promise, right well yeah but we start seeing that like with eight like chapter 11 12 13 further on in genesis what is this doing right here in genesis 4 it's foreshadowing or maybe genesis has been by this by by the the writers of genesis and editors of genesis maybe genesis has been put together in a way and I hope that doesn't offend your sensibilities about the authority and inerrancy of God's word because I believe those, two, those things too. But I also believe that there's a creative process that goes into the writing of this scripture that is inspired as much as the written words are from those who wrote them. This book as a whole is a literary masterpiece. There's, ne- there's a reason why the, book, by the Bible is the most popular book in the world most sold book in the world there's a reason why it it has has survived throughout the centuries of war and famine and bloodshed and violence not only because it is the word of God but there's a reason why atheist professors spend their whole lives studying and teaching the Bible and they don't even believe in it and that's a more common thing than you might realize because it's literarily if we were if we took if we took the idea that it is God's word, that it is inerrant, that it is, you know, all those things inspired, if we took that out of it and we just read it as a book, it is literary genius. And if we read it in Hebrew, we, would ju- we couldn't even get through it. Our minds would just explode because it's so good. So we have these two brothers and this, this Behor and secondborn thing gets set up here in the story of Cain and Abel. So we read that one is a farmer and one is a shepherd. Now, thinking through the rest of the stories of, of the Torah and Tanakh, and knowing a little bit about the history of, of where we are, by the way, where are we? Where are we in this story? What's our geographic location? Right, we're, we're, so there's, there's, this place, there's, this place called, um, there's this place called Eden. Just do it like this, right? And inside of Eden, there's a garden, right? I know some of you are hungry. That's not a donut. Okay. <laughs> And then, and then there's this, this area out here, which is east, okay, this area out here. And we're told in Genesis 3 that God expels Adam and Hava from the garden to which direction? Eastward, east of Eden. And he puts a cherubim with a flaming swords, right? The, the, flaming, the, the cherubim with the flaming swords here to guard the way, right? So there is a gate in the east of Eden 
where no one is allowed back into it. Okay? So in the way that I conceptualize Eden, because of my temple study, is that you have Eden, which is, which is the, uh, the court, so to speak, of sacred space. It's the, the court of the tabernacle, right? Then you have the, the garden, which is Ohel Moed. It's the tent of meeting. It's the, the garden is this place, holy of holies, most holy, or, or holy place, most holy place, right? You with me? And then somewhere in the middle of the garden is a tree. It's Chaim, the tree of life, which is the holy of holies. Now that doesn't mean that this is actually what it looked like. This is conceptual because we're trying to connect dots because I think the story is the same all the way through the Tanakh. We just don't see it because we're thinking about a physical place in a garden somewhere on a mountaintop called Eden and we're worried about facts that are, that are not either, we make up facts that are not given because the stories are ambiguous or we don't see these patterns that happen, right? So, so this is what, this is, to me, this is what I think about when I think about where we are, okay? Fantastic drawing. <laughs> so we're told, so given a temple context, a sacred space context, we're told that, that Hevel, Cain, is, is a farmer. And, and uh, I'm sorry, Cain is a farmer and Hevel, Abel, is a a shepherd. Well, he tends flocks, which means he's a shepherd, right? Now, since we know we've read on in the story, which one of those tends to be the hero? The, the, the uh, shepherd or the farmer? The shepherd. Farmers live close to, their farmers in this day and time are kind of city folk. I know we don't think about it like that today, but they lived close to civilization, close to towns, close to villages, and their farms and their places were right around the edge of town. That just makes sense because you're going to harvest your grain and then you're going to bring it into the storehouse in the town, and you, that can't be like over the mountain range, through the valley, uphill both ways. It just makes sense. But farmers tend to be more closer to civilization. And as a farmer you have seed has to go through the winter before you can plant it again and, and all these these things of course Mike could talk a lot more about this than I could but I'm not giving him the time today so um, and you have you have Hevel Abel who is a, a tender of flocks and where do those guys live with the flocks which is generally in the in the wilderness right away from civilization and, and, and due to a combination of sticks and slingshots, they protect those flocks from all the wild beasts, lions and tigers and... Thank you. And so they... Um, they you, you might not repeat a verse, but you can repeat that, which is awesome. Uh, so so already, already again, we have, this, we have another dichotomy that's happening, Right? Not only do we have firstborn, secondborn, but now we also have being set up for us shepherd and farmer. To, to see the things that are happening here? And, and, and Hashem asked them, well, no, again, see, I just made an assumption. I was gonna say Hashem asked them to bring an offering, but it doesn't say that. 
we see this is an ambiguity this is a hole that we're filling in we fill in these details we don't know why they bring an offering did God ask for one that's an option um, is there a is there a, a system of off is there an a, 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 is there a, a sacrificial system already in place that they know about that we're not told about it's just assumed like the writers assume duh everybody knows this and they didn't factor in that we're 21st century idiots or not idiots we're just not exposed to that culture is there a sacrificial is this part of the culture and the way of life that we just don't know about and so this is just what you do if it is that that adds a lot of color and possibility to this story. You remember we talked about, when we talked about Genesis 1, that it's not a scientific account of creation, it's a theological account, it's a, it's a, a religious account. And so, therefore, I personally, and those of you that are still here, obviously this didn't offend you too bad, so I'll say it again. I personally, and when I think about creation and Genesis 1 and 2, etc., I personally think in Genesis 1, God creates a bunch of humans. You can disagree, that's cool. I, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm saying this is what I believe. You do you, boo-boo. I, um, I, I personally think that God created a bunch of humans. Well, why do you think that? Well, because in Genesis 1, consistently, God is creating populations, the birds, the fish, not two fish, not one fish that he's going to bring another fish to later and take a rib out of that fish and make another fish. Fish, right? Seeds, trees. It's God's populating the earth. And so what so that opens up a a plethora of questions and possibilities that we can then use to fill in some of the holes that we have in these other stories. Point being, if there is a humanity already, they're doing stuff. God creates a bunch of humans and says, go do stuff. Particularly, have dominion over the earth, right? Reproduce, take, oh, right, okay. They're developing a culture Humanity is developing cultures even before we really get an idea of the Bible, the Bible story, the biblical story. There's a whole thing going on. And we just know from science that there, we know that there are writings that are earlier than the earliest Bible writing we have. That's just fact. I mean, I, it hurt my feelings when I first started learning this, but it's just fact. We know that Mesopotamian cultures are older than biblical cultures. That's just, just facts. And you can say, well, carbon dating, this and that. I, I know, but it's not just carbon dating. It's archaeology and it's all this stuff. Okay, anyway, so, so let's assume, just play in my world for a little while. Let's assume that there is a people and they're, they're doing what people do. And then what does God do? He creates Adam, which there's a lot of dynamics to that word, create. Basically, he ordains Adam. He pulls one of these humans out and says, I'm going to make you my representative, my king and high priest, right? We've talked about this. And he goes, it's not good for you to do this alone. You have to have a helpmate. So he, he takes, a, 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 takes a, a rib out of his side, quote unquote, which is an architectural term. And basically what it, what it boils down to is 
we find in the Torah that God says that a priest that's serving in the temple has to be married. That's one of the qualifications. And so that's what's going on here. Not so much a physical creation, but it is a, a conceptual and a functional creation. And so if all this stuff is happening, and if it's a possibility that it is, then it means that there's probably a system of sacrificing. There's probably a, this system already exists. Humans have somehow figured out the idea of sacrifice. And Dr. Peterson goes way into depth about this, and I would encourage you to look, because I'm gonna mess it up. He does a brilliant job at explaining it, because kind of what he does. Humans somehow have figured out that if I give up something now, then there's a good chance that I'll reap more and better later. This is probably one of the most important human innovations ever in the history of all humanity. That if I sacrifice something now, give up something now, there's a chance I can have something better later. In a community, as a farmer, Cain, it gets cold during the winter, nothing's growing maybe during the winter you've got these seeds from last year's harvest that are stored up that you're waiting to plant in the spring and it's not just you you have a whole village a whole community well heck Cain builds a city so obviously there's people around so you have a you have a, a quandary in front of you as a farmer you have a storage full of seeds that you could eat now because you're hungry but then what are you going to plant in the spring or you could wait and maybe rely on other members of the community. Maybe some are shepherds. Maybe some do other things. And you could, you could wait so that you could plant those seeds to reap a bigger harvest later. And you have to decide which one you're going to take. If you eat all your seeds now, you probably starve in the spring because you don't have any crops to plant but you're trusting that the community will help you and hold you accountable and will preserve your investment until it can show its fruit. Like that's really deep and psychological and philosophical. But it's part of the human growing and learning and dealing with reality. And so we, we are told that they bring offerings. We don't know why. That was all just my throwing up on you. We're told they bring offerings. Cain brings his Abel brings his again we're prejudiced towards Hevel and towards Abel because we have this idea and because of Messiah and because of some Pauline writings look at how much context we have compared to someone who was hearing this story orally because when this story was first told it wasn't written down it was oral somebody told a group and out of that group, they told other people, and they told other people, and someone teaches this to their children and grandchildren. Or it's a story for probably 2,000, uh, nearly, yeah, 2,500 years. This is a story that's told, not written. Have you ever played the game Telephone or seen it played? So basically, the gist is you have. You have a bunch of people line up and the, the, the person running the game whispers something in the first person's ear. Tommy talked on the telephone till midnight Tuesday. And that person has to whisper the same thing in the next person's ear. 
And the, 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 what you're trying to do is you're trying to see what the story ends up being when it gets to the last person, right? If you ever played the game, it's hilarious. And it's really, really, it shows, it's really enlightening. We're talking about eight people sitting in chairs next to each other in the span of about 15, 20 seconds. I'm talking about a story that got retold over 2,000 years before it was finally written down, probably around David's time, a little before David. That's incredible. Let me ask you this. Of the two, of Cain and Abel, which one do you usually identify with when you've read this story or thought about this story? Is there one that you usually identify with? Abel, okay, anybody else? Is there one that you usually go like, yeah, yeah. The good, usually the good guy. That's, yeah, that's who we, that's who we want to identify with, right? When we read the Gospels, who do we identify with? With Jesus, with Yeshua, right? Because we're definitely not those dirty, nasty Pharisees or Sadducees, right? Isn't that weird how we trick ourselves? <laughs> it's fun. At this point in the story, God looks upon Abel's offering, which means he, he shows favor to it, like, well done. But Cain's offering, he won't even look at. He shows no respect to, right? Same thing when we pray over the church, when we say birkat koanim, and we pray and God lift up his face towards you. That's, in other words, that's God showing favor or approval for you. That's what that means. This, the same thing is happening here. God lifts up his countenance, lifts up his face towards Abel, showing approval, but not to Cain. Here's the biggest gap in the whole story. The question we asked, why? And right, right here, I think, is where the, the, the brilliance of of Hashem and the writers that he chose to use or editors or compilers or what do you want to we identify with Abel but could it be that actually the story wants us to identify with Cain have you ever put yourself in Cain's position because see here, here's, what, here's what happens the story the story's not so much about God. It is. There's some important God points in it. But the story's more about Cain. And so if we're off identifying with Abel, who dies prematurely, then we miss all the Cain lessons that come after Abel's death. Cain gets banished, he gets cursed, he gets a mark, etc. We don't, none of that applies to us, right? Because we're able. We're giving our best to God and God is pleased with it, right? So we, we missed, yeah, and we're persecuted for it. So we miss all the Cain lessons. And, and Dr. Peterson has this great quote that I'll probably repeat again. He says, there's a little Cain in all of us no matter how able we are. Oh, there's a little cane in all of us, no matter how able we are. Makes me want it. Don't, don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. So we're not told. So, so we are supposed, at this point in the story, we know as much about why Cain's offering was rejected as Cain does. 
from what we're from what we're from where we are now there's a lot again there's a lot of ambiguity there's a lot of stuff we don't know and so if if it's not if if the details are not included what what does that mean if the details in a biblical narrative are not included does that mean god forgot like oh i forgot to add that detail man that sure would have helped people out through the centuries oh well either god forgot or the story is doing something different than what we expect and want and need it to do the details that are not here are not here on purpose at this point in the story you and cain are we and cain are in the same confounding what what, what is going on? We know the same reasons. So because of these gaps, what it does, and, or what it should do, and I think it has done over the years, it should require the reader, listen to this, to consider multiple possibilities for why God didn't accept Cain's offering. Number one, God hates Cain. Now that's a worldview that some people identify with. Some people, that's a reality. That's a real reason for some people. Well, God just hates them. Because you know what? Those people feel like God hates them. And we're gonna talk about this. It's so good. We may be like way past 12. So if you need to run and grab a little something off the table to get, we got some donuts and stuff in the back. Yeah, go grab a muffin and, and come back. Get your blood sugar right and then come back. So one option is God hates Cain. People identify with this because they feel like God hates them. And we're gonna talk about that. Number two Another option is God loves and requires animal sacrifices over grain sacrifices. I want to talk about grain offerings. I want to talk about mincha. We've talked about this, right? Mincha is a food offering. Food is a form of what? Worship. Oh, well, see, if Cain's just bringing grain, that's one thing. But if Cain's bringing a food offering, a mincha, that's, oh wait, that makes things a little, hmm. Now things got more complicated. Obviously, God rathers meat over just grain. I mean, don't we all? Especially if you're gluten intolerant. Oh, that's a great point. Food wasn't necessarily meat yet. Okay, good point good point oh we're gonna get it we're gonna mess up and get into a midrash all right the meat is blood sure that could be a possibility there's something about blood maybe but we don't know that we only know that because we've read ahead in the story and we know that blood atones right but then we have to even balance that against something that Paul says and I forget the reference but Paul says that almost everything is cleansed with blood almost everything see if we read the Torah really carefully we see that God wanted a blood offering for cleansing for atonement and yet he gives stipulations that if you can't afford this animal, you bring this animal. If you can't afford this animal, you bring this animal. If you can't afford animal at all, you can bring a grain offering. And it atones just like the blood offering did. God, it's really messy. 
oh, and I love it. See, so what, what, these, what these holes in the story should force us to do is engage and ask question after question after question after question until we exhaust God and he's like, stop, like some of you parents, just stop asking questions for a few minutes. No, God doesn't get exhausted, thankfully. So number two is God requires animal sacrifices over grain offerings or food offerings, which maybe there's a case to be made, but that doesn't seem to be the point of this story. Because after they offer, the offerings are not even mentioned again. So that may be true, but it's not the point of this story. Number three, a possibility is that God loves Cain. He's trying to teach him something through this whole ordeal. So what is, so we have to ask then about Cain. If he, if he understands this, this system of offerings and stuff, does he intentionally give a lesser offering? Or, or is it unintentional? The story doesn't tell us. Again, <laughs> again. <laughs> and why is all this so important? Why is all this so important? Because all of us see the Bible as prescriptive. It's another big word, ambiguity and prescriptive. What are you doing to me? I listen, I'm listening to smart people, smarter people than me. We believe the Bible is prescriptive, Right? What does B-I-B-L-E stand for? Basic instruction before leaving earth, right? We read the Bible as a manual, a checklist of sorts. And so if this story is telling us that God likes one type of offering over another, as long as we give the right type of offering, we're gonna be looked upon with favor because the Bible is very formulaic. It is very checklisty. It is very much a manual, except what if it's not? Oh, then our whole perspective of what the Bible is just got torpedoed. And we've got to go back to preschool Sunday school. Well, not there, because that's what got us here in the first place. In our minds and our education, we have to go back. What if... If you feel, if you, listen, if you're sitting right here and you feel your brain doing this, uh, welcome to the club. This is what the scripture is supposed to do. And so many of us get in trouble with Torah because we go, and I did this, man, finally, finally God just gave us a list of stuff to do. And he even told us in a couple of places, if you just do this list and don't do this list, everything's kosher. Finally, finally. But how many of you know that doesn't work? Doesn't work at all. Nope. Because if you live life that way, and if you approach God and the word of God that way, there's one thing that, ha- that, that falls away from your life, and that is engagement. That is the struggle. Stories like this flip the, the manual checklist type of theology or type of perspective on scripture, flip that on its head and go like, oh, no, 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 no. There's no easy answers. The Bible's not telling us in the story of Cain and Abel, this is what type of offering God desires so that we know and we can just go do it. That's no way too easy. Nay, nay. It's forcing us to struggle. It's forcing us to engage. So God goes on to tell, um, I'm sorry, let me kind of, my notes are kind of smattered here, kind of random. So there is, 
the, these gaps and ambiguities require the reader to put an effort in to make sense in and create the meaning oh I know that kind of makes some of us feel uncomfortable because the word of God means what the word of God means truth is truth right well then how come three different people can read the same one verse of scripture and come up with seven different translations or interpretations we, that's, I know truth is truth and I believe in absolute truth however there's a lot more gray than there is black and white it's just the way it is so these gaps require the reader to put in effort to make sense in creating the meaning that's what we've been doing here we've been putting in effort we've been entertaining options increased investment uh, to increase our investment in the story and reflection of each reader's approach so what also this does is based on how someone reads a story like Cain and Abel and interprets it tells me more about them we most of us identify with Abel right tells us a lot about how we think about ourselves with God how many of you just as for instance how many of you identify with have ever identified with Cain in this story yeah a couple of you that's very interesting might need to have a session after this no but it is it's very interesting for instance um let me make sure I don't I don't get ahead because it's just so there's so much For instance, have you ever had a season in your life where you feel like you're doing everything right and life has fallen apart? Or you feel like you're doing most things right? Or like you, at least you're making a good stab at it? At least your heart is right? <laughs> and yet life just falls apart around you. And to make it worse, you look over at somebody else who's doing good. They're doing things right. They're putting in effort. But everything seems to be going in their direction. Now, if Cain gives unintentionally, gives a lesser offering. In other words, if he gives the best he has. He's a farmer. This is what he has. If he gives the best he has as a farmer and God rejects it, then what does that say about God? Right? That's a, whole, that's a whole thing we could spend another hour on. But if God, I mean, if Cain intentionally gives lesser, which seems to be what the story is telling us, if he intentionally, knowingly and manipulatively and creatively even gives lesser and God doesn't look at it then that tells us something about Cain just for a moment let's, let's talk about those of us that feel like we're doing right or doing as right as we can and yet things are going wrong because that's one possibility here because Cain doesn't know just like we don't know why his maybe why his offering has been rejected I've told this story before but I remember being in high school and, and being 16, 17 and, um, and I was so on fire for God and you know was reading my Bible all the time and praying I was leading a worship team and just like 
I was just consumed with my relationship with God. And, and, and here I was, like, I, I was a band geek. Nobody liked me. I was, like, I was bullied all the time. By that time, not so much anymore. But, but like, things were kind of rough. I'm driving an old broke-down 68 Ford that the hood had popped up, and so it scooped in the front. And every time it rained at school, it would fill up with water. It was awful. It was tied with a bright yellow rope in the front. Like, it just... Just stuff wasn't just, and as a 16 year old all the things that are important to you wasn't happening right and I remember there's this kid who was a year younger than me and he was just ugh, one of those kids he was really good looking he was really popular um, athletic well he wasn't even really that good but he kind of had the athletic thing going on um, and would go out and party every weekend Underage, you know, would drink and would. Ju- he was just, just not a good, not a good guy. And one day he drives up in a brand new Dodge Ram pickup. And this is how traumatic this was for me. This was 30 years ago, not quite 25 years ago, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. And how sick and angry I was. And I remember my response being, "What the heck? I'm." I'm doing, I've surrendered myself to you and everything to you. And I'm struggling socially. My parents are struggling financially. And this kid could give two flips less about God or whatever. He goes and does his thing on Sunday and then he goes out whenever, does whatever. And he's got a new, he's got friends, he's got popularity, he's got influence, he's got a new vehicle, he's got everything. What is going on? And that's a very good possibility as to what Cain thought. However, Cain may have intentionally brought a lesser offering and that, ha- that forces us to, to, to consider other things because God says after the, the offerings, if you choose good, right, tov, if you choose what's right, won't good happen to you? Won't good be, bring to you? Which, which is a question of the ages. I'm sure it's a question Job loved to engage in. Right? Right? Yeah, I mean, but if you do all the right things, doesn't life treat you well? We've talked about this. See, this is, where, this is how my theology formed over time. If I do one good thing, God does one good thing for me. If I do one bad thing, God does one bad thing to me. But you don't have to live a little while and you realize life doesn't work that way. It rains on the just and the unjust. So God says if you do good, good will happen to you. Well, agree to disagree. The point not, is, is not more in a one-for-one relationship. The point is more God is asking Cain, whose definition of good are you going to use? Now, let's play Rabbi Foreman's game. Where have you heard this before? Okay, Cain. Okay, Cain. I'm asking you. I'm giving you two paths. If you choose good, 
good will befall you. If you choose evil, this, this animal is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Now we kind of sometimes think like its, uh, its desire is to eat us and consume us. Mm, the context may more seem in a, in a relational way. That something is crouched, this, this beast is crouching at the door and its desire is to have its way with you in an erotic context. Because if, sin, if this animal consumes us, we're not there. It's just sin. But if we partner up with this thing and we invite it in and we, have, we, re, it, we allow it to reproduce in our lives, then it transforms us from the ideal human that we were supposed to be to a beast. I'm getting ahead of myself. But I've only got like nine minutes, so get on with it. Wrap this thing up. Okay. What God is asking Cain is there's two paths. Which one are you going to choose? Where have we heard this before? Like, turn the back one page. Right? Page two, or page, yeah, page three. God tells Cain's mom. There's, there's a definition of, there's two definitions of good. There's two way, ways of seeing good. There's two paths of wisdom that are, that are qualified and, 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 and defined as good. My way or your way. That's exactly what's happening with Cain. It's the story of Genesis 3 all over again. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's great. Two trees, two paths. What decision will you make regarding who defines what is good and then follow through in wisdom on what that is good? And, and God kind of pulls, he, it's like he, I kind of picture him kind of pulling Cain to the side, putting his arm around him going like, hey buddy, why are you so upset? Don't you know like if you do, well, God basically says like, hey, I don't hate you. I don't hate you. You messed up. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, you messed up. Just do better next time. Just do better. It's okay. But God also kind of, he has this, this big cube of salt and he just sticks it right in the wound. And he, he basically says like, th- this is why the reason why I think that Cain's offering is intentional and not unintentional because he he says, don't you know if you do good? If, if you do good, if you do better, then, then that's the answer, which makes it seem like Cain knew better and didn't do better. And so you have this family now situation. Another, another kind of thing that Dr. Peterson brought out is he says, now Cain... God basically tells Cain, you knew better and you didn't do better. It's the reason why you're downcast and you're depressed and angry is not because I didn't approve. It's because you brought it on yourself. It's your fault. Now, what do you want to hear? Like, like let's, let, let's think about this in, in context of relationships and stuff. And we might, we're hopefully going to get to this in a minute. Um, You take a young child, you take an adult, whatever. Everybody has bad days. What separates some person who, 
who has bad days and yet has done something that confines them to lifetime in prison versus somebody that has bad days and they manage it. Well, it's generally how you, your outlook on life and what God is telling Cain is you messed up and it was your fault. Because see, some people have this thing about life is hard and it's, it's, it's life's fault. Now there are dynamics in life and, and life just is what it is, we just talked about. But, but there's this idea that, that life, life is hard for everybody. Some people will take that knowledge and, and personalize it and say, yeah, but it, life is out to get me. See, there's people that are doing good even though life's hard. Why am I struggling while life's hard? See, they're favored in some way and I'm not. And so what that person begins to do, as it seems Cain does, they begin to, to react and, and lash out against reality itself. Whether you call it God or whether you call it whatever, whatever you want to call it, there's a problem with being itself and, and people that get in a destructive pattern and a de destructive cycle never have the ability or never take the opportunity to turn and look at them and say, if I do good, things will change because it is reality, it is the world around us' fault why we're not doing good. And that seems to be Cain's main issue because when God tells him, listen, buddy, it's all your fault. Sorry. Then he just becomes inflamed, right? So let's talk about this because this is important for where we're going to go next. Okay, so where do Cain and Abel give their offerings? Where? They got kicked out here, right? So they're, let's say they're at the at the gate of the garden ish which is really interesting because where do you, in the in the tabernacle where do you bring offerings you bring them right outside the holy place outside the holy moed see it maps onto this just really really nicely you bring your offering to the gate the doorway of the tabernacle and you confess what it's for you go through the vidui and all those things we've talked about before before the priests take it into the altar so it maps on really really cool they're here abel's gets accepted cain's doesn't and so as we read through the the rest of the the story we find out that god that, that cain kills abel in vengeance. Here's some really pointed things to think. Cain kills the ideal, his ideal. Cain looks at Abel. Cain, a person who manipulatively, maybe, whatever, is trying to get by because he's the firstborn and probably spoiled in that time. He gets so flustered and so angry with his downfall and the fact that it all rests on him and it's his responsibility to change the trajectory. He gets so overwhelmed and so angry that he, he rises up and he looks for the ideal. What is it that I can point to that will level the playing field in my own life? What can I get? Because see, Abel is this salt in the wound to Cain. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you've made poorer decisions, and then you look at people that have maybe made better decisions, and their life is going a little better than you, how much bitterness and animosity and uh, is it? And it's not at that point because life's unfair, it's because you've made crappy decisions. Sometimes life isn't unfair, sometimes we're just unwise. And the, the, it's even worse than when we know what we're doing. We're, in, we're creatively and, and investingly making these decisions. And then we want to cry when, we, when life catches us. And so Cain looks around and, and he finds his brother. And at this point, he's so mad that it doesn't even matter that it's his own brother. And he murders his ideal. The person that really deep down in Cain's heart and in Cain's life, he probably wants to emulate and wants to be like. And he wishes his life looked like this guy's. But it doesn't. And in his fury and in, in, the, in the, the red wash of, of his, his anger, he kills him. He gets rid of the ideal, which is a conscience soother. Now there's no standard. Now there's no mirror to reflect back how bad I really am doing. So he slays the one, he slays his accountability instead of just being accountable. This, this going wrong in the family and, 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 and it tempts him and, and it, he allows bitterness and resentment to take hold. See, this story I told you earlier is more about Cain than about God. And the point of the story is not what God, what offering God wants more. The point of the story for me is more how do you react when life's not fair? That's the Cain and Abel story. How do you react when God doesn't approve? How do you react whenever life kicks you in the pants? How do you react when things aren't going your way? How do you react when it seems like you can't please God and can't please the people around you? How do you react when life piles on you and everything seems to be going down and you look around and everybody else seems to be moving the other way? How do you react? There are two trees. Do you react according to the tree of life or do you react according to the tree of knowledge? See, the story's about Cain's reaction. That's what the story's about. If you do good, Cain, good will come to you. But he let bitterness and resentment get into his heart and in his life and begin to rule him. The point of the story is how Cain responds. Cain is later after God finds him, Cain is driven which direction? To the east, which is wilderness. When we talked about this, this is God's order. This is God's disorder, right? This is where the wild things are, the beast of the field. And so what happens to Cain, he becomes less ideal human. And listen, I gotta just take a minute right here because this is important. I, I'm, I'm wrapping up, I promise. I'm, we're on the descent. We have got to change the way that we think about being human. If, if you think, if I think, if we think that being human is a negative, we have to change that toxic view of ourselves. 
Because the truth of the matter is, being human is not a negative. Being human is being what God made us to be. God created these things called humans. And he created us in a way because he wanted to partner with us. He created the partner he wanted. Being human is not something we should run away from in an effort to be more spiritual or heavenly or angelic or whatever our goal is that religion has taught us it should be. Our goal, it should be to get back to what it means to be really human. And that's a challenging perspective change for us to make. But I'm at, my, I'm at what God wants me to be. I make God the happiest I am serving my purpose and living out my function the most when I am the most human. Cain has a choice whether he's going to be fully human and sadly, he chooses the beast. You know the same beast that's crouching outside the door? It's called sin, failure. What happens is Cain lets that thing in and it reproduces in him. And what do you get? More beast. More out of God's order. Less human. See, we see that stark contrast really here that being human is a good thing. The alternative is being beastly. And Cain is sent into the wilderness because you can't be a beast you can't rule by empire in sacred space in the kingdom of God it doesn't work that way it's the reason why Moses wasn't allowed to go into the land not because, not because he struck instead of spoke in my opinion it's because he was acting like Pharaoh he was becoming beastly because in my opinion he murdered two people that day Cain is transforming from human to beast and then here's so what does God do? What does God give him? Come on, somebody. Cain, Cain is moving in the beast. He's being transformed into a beast, and he goes like everywhere, somebody's gonna kill me, and God goes, oh, no, 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 no. You don't get off that easy. You're gonna live with what you did. And so what does God give him? A what? A what? A what? The mark of the what? Say it again. The what? Say it again. It's a cell phone. It's a social security number. It's the shot. It's the vax. It's the this. It's the that. It's the that. It's the whatever. No! No, 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 no! This is not even about revelation, but revelation is Genesis, so it's all good. It's all one big cycle. The mark of the beast is not something you get. The mark of the beast is someone you are. Come on, somebody. Where's Miss Denise? I'm fixing to take off. The mark of the beast is not something you get. The mark of the beast is something you are. Say it again. Come on with it. Make me preach. Cain is, is not destined one way or the other. 
Cain has within him the power to choose whether to embrace his humanity and be the perfect partner, be the bechor, be the firstborn, be the one that carries on the family line. And he chooses to become a beast. And how are beastly characteristics defined? Violence, oppression, hardness of heart, defining your own good self-serving at any and every cost that's what the beast looks like that's what empire looks like that's what babylon looks like and all of these other things the vaccine and the this and the that and all the other things are just they're just symptoms of the system but we are getting mad at each other over a symptom, over a vaccine, and we don't understand that there is a beast controlling both of us. And so, when we act disrespectfully and negatively, and when we push against and we argue and we debase other people over a a disagreement, what are we? The beast has reproduced inside of us and we are still plugged into the system and we think we're doing the righteous, holy thing because we're rejecting the vaccine and we're, 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 we're calling all those people that are taking it the sheep. And the reality is we've become as much beast as anything else. We are the mark of the beast. Not we have a mark of the beast. You don't get it you become it Cain gets the mark of the beast because of how he reacted when God didn't approve Cain becomes the mark of the beast because of how he reacted when God didn't approve if you know what's right to do do it So in the second hour of this teaching, no, I'm joking. <laughs> there's more, there's, there's more. Listen, I, I encourage you to go listen to the Bible Project. Go on their website, search Cain and Abel. All their episodes and notes will come up. Go on YouTube, listen to Dr. Peterson. Again, I'm not endorsing him as a person. I don't know him as a person, but his insights are unbelievably profound and challenging. We're coming off of Sukkot, Shemini Atzeret, Simchat Torah, our goal this year needs to be to be more human. I've prayed for a long... Amen, Levi. That's right. You say it, buddy. I've prayed for a long time that God would restore me, heal me, deliver me, redeem me, restore me to the idea that he had when he first created me. Before life twisted me, before my own decisions caused me irreparable damage, what feels like irreparable damage, before my, my, my personality and my mind and my way of thinking was twisted and warped by this experience called life, before all of that happened, what did God intend when he, when he, when he dreamed that the world needed a Joe or a Mike or a, or a, or a Roy? What, did, what was in his mind before we were untainted before we were tainted by life and by our own decisions god restore me back to that 
whatever whatever it takes that that true humanity that you saw fit that you needed in this world before the beastly parts of me started to take over before i i invited them in and i became engaged with perverse relationships with the beast that then produced more beastliness inside of me before all of those things god bring me back to that point that person your ideal vision of what the world needed when I was created. And Father, as we go through the rest of this year, as we approach Pesach again in a few months, as we live through life and we we come to places in our lives where we're standing between two trees, two paths, remind us, Father, that whether we do it perfectly is not the point. The point is, we are supposed to do what we know to do, period, end of story. The outcome is not for us to determine. When we do well, sometimes we'll fall into blessings. Sometimes we'll be upright like Job, and yet life will fall apart around us, Father. Remind us of Cain. That we don't have a heart like Cain that when things don't go well we reject and we push back and we lash out and we slay the very things to hold us accountable so that we can feel better about our mess a heart like Cain Father that will, that will push against you and push against reality itself Father remind us through this next year good or bad, up or down remind me I am the most wretched of this at all remind me and my family with my children, with my, my precious wife that when things are not going well it's not about the outcome it's about how I react through my reactions to all of life's ups and downs and goods and bads and victories and defeats and blessings and curses, will I, will I become more familiar and intimate with the beast or will I become more familiar and intimate with the ruach, the nature, the image that I was created to be? We pray your blessings, Father, on all of our live stream family. And we pray for a Shavuot of a great week. Let this story of Cain and Abel resonate within us as just another part of how we're being transformed and renewed. We bless you. We bless you through Yeshua, our Messiah. You are so good to us. Amen and amen.